Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer. For years to come, try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Ro, host of The Queen Pod. Queen have very kindly allowed us to use their wonderful music on this podcast, which is awesome. But the rest is up to us, darlings. Our goal is to provide you with an entertaining and informative companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue. All of Queen, track by track. So, if you're in a position to offer us some support, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash queenpod and take a look at how to get involved. Thanks so much, and now sit back and enjoy while we rock you. Hello and welcome back to Queen Pod for this wonderful episode in which we're looking at the second side, side B of A Day at the Races. But before all that, it behooves me to introduce my fantastic cohorts, my partners in crime. Here comes one of the downtown chewing gum bums. It's comedian Suze Kempner. <laughs> Here I am. Hi, Ro. Hey, you all right, mate? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm happy to be doing this. Um, they say he's got a lot of water in his brain. It's Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. <laughs> is it wrong that the highlight of my week has now become looking forward to see how I'm going to get introduced on this? <laughs> <laughs> that is a desperate state of affairs, yes. <laughs> Come on and sit on his hot seat of love. It's comedian John Robbins. Hello, everyone. Hello, John. Woo! You're right. <laughs> I'm a simple man with a simple name. It's me, Ro. Your host, hello, we're here, hooray, okay, let's get going. This is nice, can you believe, guys, we are halfway through season two? Already? Where did that time go? cannot. How is that? That's craziness, yes? I complained about it yesterday. Yeah, it goes too quickly, this part. Yeah, I said it, we just got started and I realised we're halfway by the end of today. Yeah, yeah. Still, it has been blinding fun this season so far. Um, absolutely joyous. So, it is time, as it always is at the beginning of the episode, for Queen of the Champions! We are the champions! We are the champions! So, do any of us have a Queen moment we'd like to share this week? Well, I think we've got the same Queen moment, uh, Ro, haven't we? Because we at 
And I never quite get over the excitement when I get an email notification slide onto my laptop and it says, new email from Queen. <laughs> and I always have a little moment where I go, oh, the guy's back in touch again. What do they want this time? <laughs> um, but it was the uh, message from Queen Online to say that they'd released a new iPhone game. Yeah. Uh, Queen Rock Tour. So I thought, well, I did ban iPhone games from my life because I got too addicted to them. <laughs> and I sort of held out for about two and a half minutes and then downloaded it and played it for an hour in bed. And it is a very addictive. <laughs> it's so good. It's so, so good. Like, it's free. It's free. You can t- try it for free. But with, I think after... I think the first song you get to play... Oh, is this a spoiler? Well, the first game you get... The first song you get to play is Keep Yourself Alive. And then it's like... It's two ninety nine for the full version. Yes, please. <laughs> I see. They hook you in. Just £3, please. You can play it without paying, I think. You can play all the way through, right? You don't have to do that. I, but. I don't think you could... I think you can get the first two tours or something, but it's certainly enough to give you a feel of the game. But you can probably explain better what sort of game it is, Ro. Yeah, it's like... Um, uh, if you know games like Vos or, well, Guitar Hero, anyone who's played Rock Band or Guitar Hero, where you have the dots coming down and you've got to hit them just at the right point to make the song happen. Um, but this one is so well done. The band are done in the most cute sort of, they like look like those, um, what those big head t- oh, uh, what, toys fun- that you Funko get. Oh, those Funko Pops. Funko toys, yeah, they look like Funko Pop characters or Playmobil characters. They're super cute, they're completely customisable, you can like unlock different outfits for all the band and stuff. And what's amazing is uh, if you get it wrong, then that band member will drop out of the song until you recover. Mm. And so, mm. and even like in the warm-up bits, you just get little isolated little bits of track, just Freddie singing on his own little off yes. Oh, it's so good, isn't it, was, John? That was like a weird thing that for a Queen fan, there is an incentive to get it wrong because when when different <laughs> um, parts drop out of the song, you get to think, oh, I'm listening to Keep Yourself Alive with just Brian and Roger or I'm getting to listen to Killer Queen with just the bass line. So that's quite oh, addictive, but it's sort of not the point of the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I find it I, difficult to, do, to get it wrong. Like I have to get it right because it's so rewarding and they all go crazy when you're getting it right. I if there's one thing I would say about it, and I wonder if you noticed this row, there's very little John. So yet each each band member is represented by a different colour. Yeah. So Freddie's vocals are green, Brian's guitar is blue, Roger's drums are pink, and John is orange. Orange, right? And I think it's like um, symptomatic of the fact that John isn't involved in any of these projects. <laughs> but they've just kind of completely cut his lines out of the bit. So in Killer Queen, there's not a single orange button <laughs> in the entirety of the song, which I don't mind because they kind of represent the bass in other players' bits. So you're yeah. always like playing to the beat of the song. Yeah. And the absolute highlight for me was the rock star hardest version of I'm in love with my car because you get to hit those triplets. Ah, right. But you've gone to play so much more than me. You did the legend level of I'm in love with my car and got platinum. Yeah, but I'm (laughs) kind of, I just can't. I usually wouldn't allow myself to play games because I just, I will disappear for a week and be like, oh yeah, I've completed it all and I can't move my hands anymore. They're just sort of claws. (laughs) 
Um, but you texted us this morning saying this this counts as research, right? This is tax. Yes, it does technically count as research. <laughs> research, exactly. Yeah, we're understanding we're understanding the deepest levels of all the songs. I imagine that John will come into play when we're getting onto things like another one bites the dust and dragon attack, and I don't know what they've got on there. Well, there'll be lots. One of thing I would like, if any of the developers are listening to this podcast, which I sincerely hope they are, it would be so great to be able to select to complete each song as each individual member. So to do Roger's drum parts for a song, then Brian's guitar and Freddie's vocals and John's bass, that would be a dream come true. And I don't think I'd ever leave my house. Not that I do. (laughs) (laughs) But also you get all these cute little, um, it unlocks little snazzy things in this. You get a library of really cool little... Like little clips and little rewards, they're like little photographs. There was, I've un- I haven't unlocked much. I haven't played as much as you, but I mean, I got the Queen Crest and stuff like that. But little info pieces and old. It's just a, another great example of when they do a project, they do it oh, properly. They haven't so just well. said to like some game developer, here, here's the rights to the songs. Yeah. Uh, just write us out the checks when it's done. They, I bet Brian's played it and thought it would be really neat if we could have this and that and the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're trying to follow along with a, a Roger Taylor drum fill, it's like you are just literally going. Ah! <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It is a it's a bona fide Queen moment. We're recording this literally first of March. It came out today. It is wonderful. Bring on the fiftieth anniversary of Queen, please. This is great. What a way to kick off. Yes, yes. Anyone else got a Queen moment they'd like to share? Because I have one. <laughs> this counts as a Queen moment. But um, unlike uh, Susan and John, who have been au fait with uh, the whole social media business, like my Instagram feed is literally just cat videos that I uploaded at the beginning of lockdown last summer. It's I, I'm not brilliant at it. I haven't understood it completely. I've used Twitter a bit, but I'm not fantastic at it. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but uh, <laughs> on Sunday, I was looking at this... Um, I was just... Uh, I think, Suze, you tweeted this record collector thing about um, uh, what's your favourite Queen song, or I think Queen... Oh, I think someone, I think gone... someone replied to me, what's your favourite Queen song? And yeah, Right, we... right, right, yeah. right. So um, I think I replied in that that I'd be discussing it on this very pod, mm. which is very cool. Um, but I misunderstood exactly what had happened, and I thought it was a Queen pod social media tweet that had blown up. So I started marching through all of the responses... Assuming they knew all who I was and start responding to all of them. Oh, fist bump for you. <laughs> little little dig at you for choosing Rain Must Fall. Little, I just I went through so many, I went through so many of them, guys. And I was like, what oh, my this? God, there's These so much people. of this. Who's this nerd? And I, I got about halfway down the list before I sort of rang my son and went, mate, this tweet you've done has really blown up. And he's like, no, that's the original record collector tweet. Everyone's <laughs> replying to that. And you've been responding to them. Like a dick. <laughs> so that is that a queen moment? <laughs> that's that's a, a queen nerd moment, moment. Of utter <laughs> foolishness. So uh, yeah, if you um, if some stranger started talking to you about queen like it, they knew you, uh, just ignore them. Just ignore them. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I tell you what to say. I say we get onto the works. That's right. Uh, we are looking at side B of A Day at the Races, 
which is wonderful. Just to recap, it was released on EMI uh, in the UK, Electra in the US, uh, recorded July to November 1976, uh, and uh, produced by Queen, the first album entirely self-produced by the band and engineered by Mike Stone. And it did get to number one in the UK, which is wonderful stuff. Um, but Simon... What have you got for us on our update of uh, the history of the, of the, uh, uh, shall we say, the best band that Britain has ever produced? Yes, the number one. Not the second, but the best. Um, hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Screw you, Radio Times. <laughs> was, we don't want any more reviews from you. The second favourite band. Honestly. What are you talking don't, about? Don't let's, let's get started on that. <laughs> People love steps. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> Um, yes, there was some some interesting stuff going on uh, around about this time that I thought we could uh, briefly chat about. Um, so uh, probably the most significant um, and a real indication of how the landscape had changed for Queen following the success of Bohemian Rhapsody and A Night at the Opera the year before was a concert the band gave on September the 18th, 1976 in Hyde Park, which is a massive park in the heart of London. Um, it was a free gig conceived by the band as a thank you to their British fans, um, was actually organised by Richard Branson um, of Virgin fame. Um, It was a logistical nightmare, uh, with the necessary permissions being notoriously difficult to obtain. However, persistence paid off, um, and despite the show coming perilously close to being called off at the last minute due to a drought, uh, the concert went ahead with the crowd estimated somewhere between an astonishing 150 and 200,000 people. Wow. Oh my God. Uh, the oh concert, God. which Freddie introduced as Our Picnic by the Serpentine, was <laughs> filmed. Um, excerpts of the show have appeared in music videos, including Tie Mother Down and Somebody to Love, um, as well as many documentaries. But the full show has yet to be officially released. But hopefully that's only a matter of time. Um, the show was a big success. Would you like to know what the set list was made up of? I want to know if what mm. you've just said is a scoop. Um, no comment. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so, started uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody, the rock section. Then went to Ogre Battle, Sweet Lady, White Queen, Flick of the Wrist. Then a medley consisting of You're My Best Friend, more of Bohemian Rhapsody, Killer Queen, The March of the Black Queen, another bit of Bohemian Rhapsody, and then bring back that Leroy Brown. And then we went into Brighton Rock, Son and Daughter, 39, You Take My Breath Away, which Freddie had actually performed even though it hadn't actually been released at that point. Uh, the Prophet Song, Stone Cold Crazy, Keep Yourself Alive, Liar, and then finished in The Lap of the Gods Revisited. However... Oh, you forgot one. You forgot one, man. Did I? Yeah, Modern Times Rock and Roll. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's a heck of a set list, isn't it? <laughs> they never perform that live. However... <laughs> <laughs> The evening ended in chaos where, because Queen had overrun by 30 minutes, the police refused to let the band take to the stage for an encore, threatening them with arrest if they did. Instead, they were escorted into the back of a van and whisked away from the park. Unaware, the crowd continued to chant, We Want Queen. And even when the compare for the evening, uh, radio DJ Bob Harris, nervously walked on stage to explain that the night was over and the band had left, the crowd refused to stop. In an effort to make the point, the police then cut the power to the stage. Unfortunately, it was also the power feeding the car parks and exits, so roughly 200,000 people were suddenly plunged into complete darkness. Fortunately, panic did not break out, and the event went down as a triumph, despite the band's frustrations at not being allowed to do their encore. So moving on, 
December the 1st sees Queen booked to appear on the Bill Grundy Today TV show, but at the last minute they have to cancel. So EMI are asked to send a replacement and do so in the form of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> that show becomes a piece of TV oh, history, wow. effectively launching the Sex Pistols career while simultaneously ending Bill Grundy's. <laughs> that was because of Queen. Queen had My to goodness. Cancel. Yeah, there you go. So the Sex Pistols That's owe it all to Queen. Uh, Queen, meanwhile, embark on a tour of North America throughout January, February and March 1977 before a brief European tour followed by some UK dates in May and June. One of those dates was at Earl's Court, another film concert that we've widely seen excerpts from, and another was at Bingley Hall in Stafford. Why mention Bingley Hall, I hear you cry? Well, we have since discovered that the crowd at this all-standing venue were particularly raucous and desperate to join in with the show. This left a lasting impression on the band, recognising that the audience wanted to participate in the show as much as possible and not just sit back and watch. It was this show that subsequently inspired Freddie to go and write We Are The Champions and for Brian to come up with We Will Rock You, two Queen songs you may or may not have heard of. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Well done, there Simon. You go. Lot going on. I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. Simon, I've got a task for you. Go on. Speaking about concerts... I have a suspicion that Queen are very poorly represented in the Wikipedia entry for biggest attended concerts. Are they? Because I went on there thinking their South American mm. gigs were definitely 200,000 plus. Yeah. But the highest, um, the highest capacity Queen are listed are, they're in 12th place with 131,000 at Sao Paulo and the Game Tour. Oh, right. But they've definitely no, they done higher ticketed yeah. concerts than that. They certainly did more yeah. than that in Rio. Um, yeah, wasn't it 300,000 in Rio? I believe so, but... I yeah. thought it was 500,000. <laughs> it was 2 currently, million. on Wikipedia, the highest attended single artist concert is from Medina Park in 2017 by Vasco Rossi, an Italian singer-songwriter with an attendance of 225,000. No. I mean, I know Queen that, have definitely done more. Than yeah, that. and they've done more than that with with Adam, you know, in, right. yeah. in Kiev. Uh, I think they did more than that with with Paul as well, also in Kiev. So, um, right, that's something we need to look into, guys, and get oh, sorted. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I donated to, to Wikipedia. Wrong. I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to beat the record for the highest attended free concert, which is three and a half million for Jean Michel Jarre in Moscow. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. But certainly the ticketed concert list needs some attention. Yeah. That's a jarring fact. Just oh, oh, don't oh, mind that, mate. Oh. I think there was just a Zoom delay. <laughs> <laughs> no? Let's call it that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got a couple of little stories about uh, a recording of um, Day of the Races. One's a little quote from Brian. Because uh, you mentioned that uh, A Night of the Opera and... Um, a day at the races came close together. And Brian said, I wish in some ways we'd put a night at the opera and a day at the races out at the same time. Mm. The material for both of them was written at the same time. So I regard the two albums as completely parallel. He said that in a, well, that was quoted uh, in a 2018 article in um, Classic Rock, Rock Magazine. Um, and yeah, on that um, on that gig, even before, a day, I think the day at the races hadn't come out, but they had put in, Tracks from it, like Tie Your Mother Down and You Take My Breath Away, were in it right before the actual album would come out? Or am I getting my dates wrong, Simon? Sorry, I missed that. Sorry, say again. It's like um, 
You just switch off whenever I do my talky bit. Who's this again? Sorry, you are Queen, the band <laughs> oh, Queen. Yeah, right, okay. I'm talking about Queen. Sorry. Do you know what? Let's move on. After <laughs> recording at the Manor one afternoon, Freddie wanted to go back to London to visit Mary Austin. So Peter Hintz drove him in a car borrowed from the studio. Fred's regular car and driver weren't on hand. They had a minor crash at a roundabout in West London. Freddie went to the nearest house and asked to use the owner's phone. <laughs> Hintz remembers, I'll never forget him standing by the roadside. He hadn't shaved for two days. He was wearing white clogs, blue jeans and a Japanese kimono with Queen written on the back. <laughs> just, I love that image. Just, you're just sat having afternoon tea and Freddie Mercury rings your doorbell. I'm going to borrow your phone. to get a car. Isn't that wonderful? Oh. I thought that was wonderful. We've all, mm. we've all had that dream that where that happens, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, imagine. Um... <laughs> Yeah, well, West London roundabouts are a nightmare. Uh, okay, well, the first track on this side of the album is, let's be honest, a monster. It's written by one Freddie Mercury. It's four minutes and 57 seconds of absolute joy. And it is, of course, somebody to love. He walks every day. Yes. yes, what a tune. So uh, it was released as a single in November 76 with White Man as its B-side, which will be coming on to soon. Uh, and it reached number two on the UK charts in the week beginning Unbelievable. December 5th, 1976. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous <laughs> that it only got to number two. Uh, well, Tom, number two is great, but it is daft that it was at number two. Would you like to hear what was in the top ten that week? I yeah. sure would. So at number ten, Lost in France by Bonnie Tyler. Love her. Number nine, if not you, Dr. Hook. At number eight, When a Child is Born by Johnny Mathis. We Ugh. are coming up to Christmas, of course. At number seven, Love Me by Yvonne Elliman. At number six, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing by Leo Sayer. At number five, Living Thing by ELO. It's a good chart. This, this, That's a this great number. Yeah. Uh, at number four, If You Leave Me Now by Chicago. Oh. <clears throat> Stone Cold. <laughs> number three, Money, Money, Money by ABBA. Ooh. Really, really solid chart. Number two, hit. Somebody to Love. And at number one, Under the Moon of Love by Shawan. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, there's a, there is a slight sort of queen connection with Shawadi Wadi because when I did um, my first show at the Hammersmith Apollo 
the pro- my promoter was Phil McIntyre, and he is also Queen's uh, live promoter. And after the gig, this was really sweet, a very sort of fatherly thing to do. We were in the bar having drinks afterwards. He took me by the hand. He said, come with me, I want to show you something. <laughs> and he, t- he took me into the gods and he said, see this, this is my seat. It's where I sit. I always sit here on my seat. And I said, oh, what? so when was the first gig you ever put on here? And he went, 1984, Shawaddy Waddy. I was sat here and I thought, I want to get some of this. And his, <laughs> it was like... I can't remember whether it was the first gig he put on or the first gig he saw there. But anyway, Shawaddy Waddy was, I think it was the first gig he put on and he sat in this seat and he always sits in the same seat. And so he then went on to um, promote Queen live. So he could well have played a small role in keeping somebody to love off the number one spot. You never know. Just by being so good at promoting Shawaddy Waddy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I actually listened to Under the Moon of Love. I, it's, uh, it's it, you know, fine. They're, 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 for those of you that don't know, Shawaddy Waddy were a very popular sort of retro rock and roll band that sort of did covers of Under the Boardwalk and stuff like that. Really, right? Was that was it? No, uh, Blue Moon, things like that. They did. I think they're better than their name suggests. Actually, <laughs> yeah, they were band. They were huge. Yeah, but they were, they were huge. Huge. They were a lot of fun as top well. Ten, actually, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the time will tell pretty, whether somebody to love right. or under the moon of love will end up being the bigger hit. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to wait and see. Play the waiting game. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing track. It's an amazing, amazing track. Its complexity is incredible. Mm. Uh, Suze, why don't you talk to us a little bit about... Oh, my um, goodness. I had a somebody to love day. Where in 2002, when I, um, sorry to brag, but age 17, sang Somebody to Love at wow. that, the, Whitfit, the Whitgift Centre in Croydon. <laughs> sang it on a big stage. And as I opened the, with the, with the uh, can, I'd literally sung the can and a girl in the front said, I knew you couldn't sing. <laughs> anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> what? It was no. all right, no, no, I won her over or something. Um, anyway, I then went home all like puffed up like a robin because I'd sung uh, Somebody to Love in a big shopping centre um, and everyone had gone clap, clap. And I got home and on um, Parkinson that night, they unveiled a performance, the first ever performance to launch We All Rock You and it was Hannah Jane Fox singing Somebody to Love. Yeah. Oh, and I went, I went, I went, I'm going to, I want to play that part as soon as I can. Um, so but we've cool. already talked about my We Will Rock You auditions. So. <laughs> but that was my Somebody to Love day back in 2002. I think Somebody to Love is, it like, you could easily put it as Queen's number one song. If anyone picked it as Queen's number one song, you you couldn't really argue with it. I am. I am. There you go. Guy. There you go. I think yeah. when all is said and done, Somebody to Love is my favourite Queen song. I am... Um, never i've never been bored of listening to it Mm-mm. i will never be bored of listening to it i'm happy whenever it is on it speaks to me uh, at levels that are just oh so yeah just the lyrically musically its complexity everything every element of it the orchestration of it blows my mind it mm. is my favorite queen song there's no doubt about it john 
Uh, I, well, I think that clip you played, that that um, Brian May solo is perfect. And yeah. the tone he gets, it would be so easy to try and get a very sort of um, uh, overly harmonised sort of polished guitar tone. But the fact that he keeps it really quite raw mm. is a really important decision. And that solo is just a perfect example of what Brian does. It's 20 seconds long and it feels like you're in it forever. Mm -hmm. And it I aches, think it's, doesn't it? It aches with the plight of <laughs> I think of it's song. a perfect song. I wouldn't yeah. say it's my favourite Queen song, but I think it is a perfect song. Definitely. And what I think is perfect about it is the balance of every element of Queen is absolutely pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. So the harmonies... The piano, the bass, the drums, the guitar. Mm. If I had to pick one Queen song to play an alien or mm. someone who'd never heard Queen, I would I would put this on as the best example of all of them playing at their absolute mm. best. Yeah. I think it's yeah. an astonishing song. And I think the alien would respond with, well, I want to join your planet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I, want, I want to get in on this. <laughs> this is great. Um since you mentioned it, I'm just going to jump in on uh, the voice layering technique that they used because let's be honest, right? They genuinely recreated the sound of a hundred voice gospel choir mm. with the three voices of Freddie, Brian, and Roger, um, and that that is nutty to me. Just how many layers and loops and you know things that they put on this on this thing to just. You know, it's it's one of those things where it was quite a while into my Queen fandom that I realised, oh no, hang on, there are no women in this group. They didn't bring any women <laughs> in to sing on this song. This is just that as them. They are the entire choir. Simon, how do you feel about somebody? I'm not a fan, actually. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, I, I, I think we're, we're all of one mind here. I think it's it's yeah. so hard to pick. What's your favourite Queen song? Whenever anyone asks me that, it sort of changes regularly because it depends what mood I'm in and what what sort of thing. But if I could only take, if I was stranded on a desert island and I could only take one Queen song, this is the one I would yes. take. Because, That's exactly how I feel. Because yeah. it's every, as John said, it's everything you want from Queen is is yeah. in yeah. this. Um, so I think all four of us are united on, on that respect. Absolutely, and yeah. As a drummer, it's an absolute joy to play along to. I mean, you really get to hit them with this. Hmm. So wow. I, imagine, I mean, you know, I might reckon Roger must have loved doing this one. Um, but what's I think what's... Oh, he is going to town on it. He, he is, completely. And that bit where it sort of goes into the, you know, the, 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 the vocals <laughs> stop and then the drum yeah, comes in. Yeah, it's just yeah. so cool to play. Um, but I think it, it's... It's all the things that that Bohemian Rhapsody is really, in the sense that it's it's an it's you know over the top. It's there's so much going on and uh, everyone's really really going for it. But it feels more like a proper song than sort of the opus that that the Bohemian Rhapsody is. The way I sort of see it is that Bohemian Rhapsody feels like a song that no one else could have come up with. Whereas mm. Summerty Love, I think other rock bands could have come up with. But they didn't, mm. and that's the, mm. the difference, isn't it? And I, th mm. I know mm. that Freddie prefers somebody to love over Bohemian Rhapsody in yes, terms he does. of yeah, he what he feels is his greatest creation. Right. Um, yeah. And I, th I think they, they've nailed it. I mean, I say other rock bands could have come up with it; they would never have done it anywhere near as well as Queen did. But or, it just feels but I think like a big band, song, or... doesn't it? Rather than a, you know. I think what's great about it is it feels so familiar. Mm. Mm. 
and I think that's sort of what you mean is it it could it could be from another band this type of song and the sort of gospel harmonies sound familiar mm. and the guitar sounds familiar and the drums and ev- so everything is sort of exists in your mind but it's like queen have just put it together in a way that no one else could have done mm. yeah that's whereas yeah. bohemian what rhapsody is like this is from another world yes. <laughs> Mm, mm. Yeah. So Aretha Franklin was the big influence on Freddie for the writing of this song, obviously. Um, and Roger said in Circus Magazine back at the end of January 1977, Somebody to Love is Aretha Franklin influence. Freddie's very much into that. We tried to keep the track in a loose gospel type feel. I think it's the loosest track we've ever done. That's such a strange way to describe it because it doesn't it's, feel loose. It's so, so tight, tight, but yeah. yeah, it's got a real loose feel. It doesn't. Yeah, you can't. If one if if one member drops the ball doing this live, the whole thing yeah. falls apart. However, yeah. it does feel super loose and. That was yeah. the, you know the bit that I just played, Suze, uh, yeah. which is the um, I feel I got no rhythm. I just keep yes. losing my beat, and yeah. he's just off the beat, but yeah. he's still on the beat. How yeah. does that all work? <laughs> what is actually happening there? I've been fascinated. With that. It's my favourite <laughs> bit of the song. What you have there is a very, very good songwriter and musician. <laughs> and that's the only way I can describe that. Yeah, that it's really specific as well. Like you can't play around with that bit, even though the idea is he's off the beat. That he's written it, it's perfect, it's already on the page. And that goes for this whole song. I've I remember they did one week on the X Factor, probably about twelve years ago. They did Queen Week. Everyone yeah, did they Queen did. Song. Yeah, yeah. And this girl who was lovely singer um young irish girl did somebody to love and they did a really pared down very um sort of gaelic version of it with no drums or anything it was horrendous i don't know it was such a stupid idea because (laughs) particularly with this song but so much of queen is like this but particularly with this song it's all there on the page you don't need to mess with it Mm. it's as john said perfect song so, Ro, yes, yeah. there's no cover version required. Ro, do you remember yeah, we were at the um, Albert Hall when Brian performed this with Kerry Ellis? Ah, yeah. right. And Kerry absolutely smashed it, as you'd mm, imagine. I bet. Yeah. yeah. But um, uh, Rufus Taylor was on the drums, mm. and my oh, God, did yeah. he hit them! I mean, we were he right really at the very back did. up in the gods, but it really Roger's got you in son. the stomach, didn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. The sound yeah. was huge. That's I mean, that's the thing is. Is is just how enormous it. Well, I'm sure. Well, we, I know we'll be getting to this. Um, uh, the whole liveness of it. Um, but uh, uh, John actually would sing backing vocals during this song when performed live. Yeah. Um, so when discussing the music video for the song, P- Peter Hint said aesthetically you had to have all four around the microphone. But John didn't sing on the records. Mm. By his own admission, he didn't have the voice. He did sing on stage, but the crew always knew to keep the fader very low. Oh, <laughs> so sweet, so so sweet. But just to give it that extra little bit, they're like, "Yeah, John, John into the mix, right. isn't it?" You know, because it's that. Yeah, what a wall of sound. I mean, it's the mm. fact that they can play a song like that live that blows my oh, mind. Yeah, actually, more than yeah. anything else. Smart you know? arrangements live to be able to create all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's this. Um, 
A flat at the peak of the line. Can anybody? I can't sing it, Suze. Can anybody find me? Knees. Yeah, Whatever yeah. It is, right? <laughs> um, uh, which is on the studio recording. And apparently that wasn't Freddie's original mem- melody, but the other bands felt it worked better. So oh. Freddie would sing his original version of the line during live shows. Oh, when he goes, anybody find me? Yes, says, there you go. That's yeah. Right. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so It's more a of a vocal thing. saver when live. Is it? So you don't have to go all the way <laughs> Is up. Is it just yeah. a tough, that's a tough note to sing. Right, okay. Um, it's all around the break. Yeah. I mean, the voice would break. He would generally hit that A flat during the song when he sang live, when he when he wanted to. But, yeah. But um, yeah, he didn't always do it. So I've only ever sung sung one song, Queen song in public and it's uh, Somebody to Love. Oh my God. The, but, but the Milton Keynes live version. Um, and I've done it. Four times, I think I did it at a musical, and I did it right. three times at the um, uh, uh, Masioki in Edinburgh. Ah, yeah. Right. yeah. Kirsten Newton and does that. We had her on last yeah. series. What I would say is, if you can't sing but you enjoy singing Queen, sing a live version because Freddie rounds off and ducks out of some of the really hard notes, and it becomes much more achievable. But what I learned from it, with no like singing knowledge whatsoever, and I have watched back footage that I thought would make me want to die, and and it, I was actually quite pleased. With <laughs> You're okay, yeah. is you with a song like "Somebody to Love," like you were saying about X Factor, you can't if you try and sort of sing within yourself to avoid embarrassing yourself, you will sing it badly. Mm. And the only way to sing it is to actually like go 120%. And then you might sort of achieve about sort of 75% success. But if you try and like try and not mess up by holding in a bit, you will completely fail. Mm. So I, I would only ever, every time I've done it, I've been quite drunk. And that also <laughs> helps. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're never well, going to hold back if you're hammered singing Somebody to Love, mm. definitely. <laughs> what this does bring me neatly onto, because you touched on uh, a key live performance of Somebody to Love, John, is... What, mine? most important performances. It's just not in my Queen. running order. No, John's performance of Somebody to Love is not here. It's Fine. just not here, mate. Freddie V. Michael V. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't aware of it. No, no, no one's aware of it. Um, uh, it is time for... Well, he's guaranteed to blow your mind. It is time for Simon Says, and so does Suze. Simon and Suze. I'm yeah. doing this a little bit earlier than we normally do because you guys have got a game to play, haven't you? We have yes. got a bit of a game because... Um, I'm going to say great minds think alike rather than fools never differ. But... <laughs> but um, we had this idea. Um, this I was inspired by um, one of our, our marvellous uh, listeners um, who jumped onto our Insta feed, I think is what it's called. Um, uh, one of our listeners, Heather Qualey, um, who commented on the fact that we had said in the podcast that we thought um, Somebody's Love at, performed live at Milton Keynes was the definitive version of that performance, uh, of that song. Uh, to which she had said, actually, um, I think you'll find Somebody to Love at Montreal, uh, 81, <laughs> uh, is a better performance. Um, and I think that is a view that's shared by many people. So um, 
I was going to suggest that we have a bit of a somebody to love sing-off, <laughs> live sing-off. There was there was a little contretemps between John and Sue's on a on a previous uh, was it last week or the week before where it was discussed oh, and someone said I think someone had <laughs> already a reader said... had already said Montreal and then I said Montreal but I meant Milton Keynes. You did mean Milton Keynes. Yeah, interesting. Because yeah, <laughs> my brain is uh, it retains a lot of things that I've just heard and then I say them. Well, there you go, guys. If you're listening, just at the Queen Pod on Insta or on Twitter, and look, we react. This is a fully interactive podcast. We'll definitely we haven't got much to do, so we look at it and then <laughs> then go right. We'll do that in the pod. So get involved. Get stuck in. How much fun can well, we have? It's also worth mentioning. I mentioned it very early on in series one. There's an opera singer who does really good reaction mm. videos on YouTube, mm. and she does Freddie singing somebody to love. And I really, really enjoyed the video. It's such a great insight into how Freddie sings. But she picks the Montreal version because she was recommended yes. it by fans as the yeah. best live song they did. Yeah. And I was watching it thinking, I wish she'd done the Milton Keynes version. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's interesting. Okay. Well, I am interested because up till now, I would say that Montreal is definitely... Like, if if someone comes around my house and I, yeah, I want to show them what Queen is, I'll put on my Montreal blu-ray and show them somebody to love and but the milton Keynes gig as a whole is the best well there's a story behind the montreal one but why don't you do your um why don't you do your thing and then let's see we could have the discussion afterwards yes so we susan had exactly the same idea that it'd be fun to sort of compare the two and so she has selected um a chunk of queen live at montreal and then mm. another chunk of Queen live at Milton Keynes. So we thought we'd play the two of them. Uh, we can discuss them. And then basically it's an invitation to fans out there to have at it. We want to hear yeah. what, what you think is the best. Um, obviously, you need to go away and look at the entire performances of both. You can't just judge it on these clips. No, but if yeah. we did that, that's 15 minutes. We'd be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I shall now play eight minutes. Yeah. From <laughs> yes. So I'm do you want to introduce the clips, Suze? Yeah, Why did so you pick these two bits? I've picked the first minute of the Montreal 81 performance of Somebody to Love and I've picked the last minute and 47 seconds of the Milton Keynes 82 performance of Somebody to Love because I think those have the best of uh, the best of the Montreal performance and that and the ending is the best of the Milton Keynes performance. So hit it. DJ Giles. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody find Somebody Somebody love Okay, let's do it. Okay, Beyonce could never 
<laughs> Those runs are incredible. <laughs> they are incredible. They're, uh, Beyonce could, I should say, she could 100%. But he's up there with Whitney and Beyonce in terms of control of the whole of his range, going all the way up and down in quick runs. That's crazy. Um, uh, also, totally yeah, yeah, and great thing to watch if you're interested in any vocal technique, watch these performances of Somebody to Love because he's doing an incredible thing which he wasn't taught which is engaging the muscles between the shoulder blades it's called anchoring uh, and that is how he's achieving that incredible meaty sound up the top with somebody to love that's uh all in anchoring which freddie did without being taught just naturally um, the swine so yeah <laughs> then we have the ending of the milton Keynes performance of somebody to love if you would giles thank you Unfortunately, we're in audio format, but what you can't see is Freddie is fully sitting on the end of the piano to hit those I'm final beats. It's oh my God. fantastic. It and um, yeah, next time, John, next time you're singing Somebody to Love at an event, lots of anchoring and you will be astonished at how easy those high notes are to hit. It was it was more the sort of um, the stellar <laughs> that I was, I was really relying on. Um, I've, I've, and also, I should point out, I've not been trained. Um, so well, now, now I have a, a, given you Freddie. was Freddie. A lot of teachers would say, "Yeah, five stellars," uh, but I just, I just developed that technique. Here's a question for you, Suze. Sure. The the thing I really liked about that um, reaction video is that she's describing Freddie singing from a classical perspective. Yes. And from that perspective, there's actually quite a lot he does wrong. Mm. Or not necessarily wrong, but that sort of made her go, oh, he's doing this. Yeah. And I'd only ever heard of Freddie being spoken about in like, he's the, got the perfect voice, the most amazing singer. Yeah, yeah. So if you were to give Freddie the lessons he never had, mm. what would you tweak and what would you advise? Oh, I'd tell him to stop smoking. 
<laughs> and um, probably just telling. I think what oh god, imagine yeah, I'm going to give Freddie a singing lesson now. Um, what I would do is tell him all the things he does right, so that he's aware of them. Because when he's because he did it without thinking, and when yeah. he's doing that, it sounds so incredible. All those times you've heard the voice kind of fall off. Um, and it, you were saying before about all those bloopers, li like live Queen bloopers. Yeah, yeah. And there's times where his voice will break when it's at a high uh, tessitura, when it's on the vocal break. I would tell him all the ways that, all the times where it hasn't happened, why it hasn't happened. And he would still oh. sound like him, but it would be stronger by far. I think as well, oh. like if you give someone who's a rock singer and a real good natural rock singer, if you give them classical lessons, all it does is reinforce the rock singing. It doesn't change the voice. You can't change a voice with um, classical singing lessons. I had a, there was a guy I was teaching once and he went, yeah, I want to learn to sing better, but can you not make me sound like a twat? And it's just, it's not a thing. It can't, it, <laughs> it can't be done. You can't completely change a voice just by giving them singing lessons. So I would, would that reinforce the best things about Freddie's voice. It's beautiful. Would that even work for like Brian Johnson out of ACDC? <laughs> he sings like Megatron. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to, uh, I, if he's free, tell him I'm available for Let's make it. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah. Well, wow. So, yes, uh, Hollywood. Uh, sorry. Uh, Milton Keynes, Live at the Bowl. <laughs> that is one hell of a performance. Mm. And they really do put it all out there. Yes. And I had forgotten, yeah, of course, that amazing moment where he just, oh, God, it's just awesome when he's just slamming all the yeah. keys. Yeah. You also see him, do you remember in the first series we talked about how that posture in that very famous, oh, it's behind Simon now, the famous live yes, at Wembley pose, pose, that is uh, from a still technique. Joe has still noticed the rock singers would plant one foot behind the other, put the weight on the back foot and do that anchoring with the body weight slightly back to get that mm. high belt. Freddie does that loads, particularly in, in the song. Milton Keynes uh, performance. The reason, I the reason I prefer the Milton Keynes performance is because it's quite rare that Queen really extend songs and kind of mm. mess around, for want of a better phrase. They're not, they're improvising mm. and they're extending the outro. And I just happen to think that Freddie's vocal improvisations hit better in the Milton Keynes version mm -hmm. than the Montreal version. I don't think it's necessarily that he sings better in one, but mm -hmm. I guess improvising as a singer, like you heard in the outro, it must be like improvising as a guitarist. Sometimes it just you're in the groove and it works and sometimes maybe it sort of feels a bit forced and I just think his improvisations are are better in the in the Milton Keynes yeah. version. And then he just hands over to Brian for a few bars. And they're all playing so they're all so perfectly in sync with each other. How about you, Simon? Yeah, I'm I'm in the Milton Keynes camp, and I think you you alluded to this just a minute ago. There's there's a, di a slight difference in the energy because I think in Milton Keynes they are getting their energy from the crowd because the crowd mm. is huge and the crowd are having an amazing time, and I think they are playing with the crowd and you know. At the beginning of the Milton Keynes one, where before he starts, he goes, "Are you ready, brothers and sisters?" You know, and all the crowd. Mm, yeah, I love that berserk. bit. And of course, he's bouncing on the piano, as we said. And I think that's coming from the the energy they're getting from the crowd. Whereas in Montreal, 
they weren't getting the energy from the crowd. They they right. brought the energy on. Yeah, I love this story. The stage mm. with them because just before the show, they'd had a massive row with their manager Jim Beach, um, to the point where they had banished him from the venue and locked him <laughs> out. Um, yeah. So they were really fired up and really angry. So Can they, you say why though? Um, I think it was, it was down, the video recording. Right? I think it was down to the fact that he'd arranged for them to be filmed on both nights. And they really just wanted one night to be filmed. But, you know, we're all glad that they did because the, the footage from Montreal is amazing. It was shot on yeah. the film. It looks beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think um, they were so fired up because of that. They went out and it's not an angry performance, but it's a very energised performance. And that's mm. where the energy is coming from. So I think... But also they're playing everything a bit faster so that it wouldn't cut with the previous nights. Yeah, they were basically just messing about, yeah. And so that's what I love about that Mont- Montreal gig is that that entire gig, they're playing a, a up-tempo from what they normally play. Mm-hmm. And it just gives it... It just gives it some... And also, that in Montreal, it is just the four of them. And the thing that makes my jaw hit the floor, particularly on Somebody to Love in that gig, is just how much racket those four, four men were able to produce. Just four guys made that much noise. I think by the time they were with Hollywood... At the, at the, I keep saying Hollywood. At the Milton Keynes Bowl. I think they had someone on piano with them as well, or they had an additional musician. Maybe I'm wrong. But... Um, uh, yeah, it, just the four of them, that purity of the four of them producing that much noise and that yeah. much racket. Performance-wise, the correct answer, of course, is the Milton Keynes uh, Bowl. <laughs> Me, personally, I'm going to be Montreal every time. Um, but I have got something, if you'll, if you'll indulge me, producer Giles, to share, that may, um, that may put all of this to bed. Oh. I want to see you get crazy. Can you do get the idea there <laughs> uh, is that from live around the yeah. world that yeah mm. that's the isle of white festival with adam and i just absolutely i never saw that coming when that happened yeah it's a proper I party went absolutely loopy but um oh god i love it yeah can i what tell a song. you my theory on why that there's even a contest between montreal and milton Keynes? i think it's just because the montreal concert was better filmed I think it really Ooh. comes down to that. I think that's a better filmed performance, whereas uh, Milton Keynes is more raw. Yes, and I think if you're going to decide which is your favourite, you should just listen to the audio. Yes. Because that's what I did. I went on, before the show today, I went on a walk and I listened to it on YouTube, but with my phone in my mm. pocket. And the, the Milton Keynes performance just 
blast. Yes. Does it really? Ooh, okay, yeah. Good tip. There you go. Fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. Wow. Wow. What a fantastic uh, Simon Sue's. Yay! <laughs> I'll be honest. John gave me that one just before we started recording. So there we go. Uh, all right. Let's get back to the works uh, with a Brian May track called White Man. It's four minutes, 56 seconds long. It was the B-side to Somebody to Love. And the song is about the suffering of the Native American people at the hands of European immigrants. from Brian. He consulted with Native Americans and researched the history of their colonisation for the song, which is very, very Brian thing to do. Mm. Uh, Freddie on Kevin, Kenny Everett's radio show, which we've been discussing a bit this series back in uh, November 76, uh, where they played the whole album together. Uh, after Kenny asked Freddie how they managed to get such a loud noise on one record, he said, I don't know, it's down to Mike Stone, our engineer. We're very bad in the studio for that, actually. The poor engineer has to really suffer because we really want as much level as possible. We keep pushing the phases up and he keeps looking at the meters and going, oh, it will never cut. Then we give him the added task of going over to New York or wherever and saying, make sure that cuts as loud as possible. They love it loud (laughs) to the Queen boys. This is good times. Um, Okay, white man. All righty, Simon. Where do you stand on White Man? Let's start with you. I, I do like it. I mean, if I'm honest, it, it's not a song I, I reach for very often. Uh, I d- and I don't know why. Um, but I do I do quite like it. I, I think it's so hard, isn't it, for any song on this album? Because when you have an album like A Night at the Opera, which is bursting at the seams with such brilliance and creativity, we, we've got used to Queen songs now working at maximum on every level. Um and when we get to one that, that perhaps not quite a hundred percent, we're surprised, even if it's sort of ninety nine percent. I I really like the sentiment behind it. it. It reminds me a bit of of scandal. Actually, I have a similar relationship there, where yeah, the lyrics it, the, are powerful. the lyrics yeah. mean a lot, and I know it, it it meant a lot to Brian. I think, um, and he was trying to to make a really serious point, and he had something he wanted to say, um, but perhaps the song doesn't quite hit the mark at the level of what we've come to expect but i still really like it i love the fact it's loud and um it's mm. the chorus is great in particular mm-hmm. i do get into it but... and that that guitar that yeah. he uses it a lot like oh it's always introduce fat bomb girls with it and stuff like he'll drop it yeah that that here there and everywhere really it's obviously well. very attached to it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you john 
I, th- I think firstly, it's a hard job to come after somebody to love. Mm. I think any song mm. is going to feel mm. like That's you've just you've just sort of stepped down a level because that's that is a perfect song um and i think it's you know it's certainly like top five queen songs whoever you ask really so to follow it is a big ask i like the fact that this is essentially it's almost like he hasn't put the guitar down at the end of prophet's song (laughs) right right so i think musically the song really works i think the guitar sounds amazing it's one of queen's heaviest songs i personally and this is no um, slight on Brian's intentions nor his integrity, because I'm sure he was 100% behind it in every way. I think it's problematic, and I think it's fair enough to say it's problematic, and I think it's the lyrics. It just, something about it doesn't quite sit right, and also I don't think it sits right in the album. I don't think it really fits on this album, because there's such a mood on this album of longing and of other other places and um and sort of light and whatever yeah dream scenarios that suddenly this this almost like kicks the door down on that atmosphere it's a very midsummer night's dream type album isn't it it has that kind of fairy yes that's a very a very good reference point actually i think for the atmosphere of this album and i wonder if white man might have worked better on a different album Mm-hmm. But you know, I have to couch this all by saying I still I really like the <laughs> yeah, song. Too, I just yeah. you know, on the scale of my love for Queen mm, songs, mm. this is towards the rain must fall end <laughs> as opposed to the prophet song end. But do you think that's I'd be interested to hear what you guys think because I think when you know, if you were to write a list of Queen's songs which were it you know, political in some way, you'd have Is This the World mm. We Created? You'd have um Hammer to Fall, mm. uh, One Vision, you'd have mm. uh, White Man. Would would you agree that within that group there are a couple of songs that perhaps don't work quite quite? I think that um, well? I think when Queen do approach those subjects, uh, they're not very nuanced about it, and I think that's fine. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, because um, you have to be they're... then playing that song to one hundred and fifty thousand yes. people. Yeah, and they, yeah. you know, they are bold about it, and this is a bold version of that song. I kind of, I want to see what um, Susie's take is on it. Actually, I'm, very I, I'm, I completely agree with John. I've written that it's very well intentioned, and I'm super grateful that Freddie isn't doing what I'm just going to call a voice. Um, mm. And it, it totally slaps, like, as a song. It's mm. it's great, great hook. Um, Brian sounds awesome on it. Freddie sounds awesome on it. But it does feel like very 1976 mm. content. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. I So I think I'm... Uh, so I'm of the 90s in the sense that I was, you know, uh, you know I'm through my teens and into my 20s during the 90s. And at that time, I think... We had an attitude that is very outdated now, which is that um, I think we were moving towards uh, a position where more was permissible. It was we were kind of working towards being able to say more <laughs> than we could before. Whereas actually, what I'm, you know, what what we're experiencing now is what's unacceptable to say, and it's a very very different approach. Um, and so lyrically, I have never particularly had a problem 
with this song. I think um, it does make. So I, mean, I think it's. I don't think it's particularly deft about the way it goes about making the points that it's making, but um, you know there is something to be said for the fact that you know white, white people, with respect to the dear friends that I have here, you know, uh, you know that th- there has been a lot of damage done to this planet um, mm. by successive regimes of. Uh, from the West over over centuries. Uh, and I think it's perfectly fair for Queen to tackle that. I think um, uh, Freddie's heritage certainly uh, throws that in a new light again. Um, fundamentally, it is n- not my favourite track on the album, uh, from the top and tail of it, really. But that middle set, that beat of it, basically the section I just played... Oh, it's just rocking. Mm. I love it. It's really fun. You know, at the end of the day, they made a song about that particular issue and they put it on their album. So they they cast some light on it to their listeners. And that, that is something. Um, uh, yeah, and the ultimate defence, not that I'm attacking them, but the ultimate defence is, hey, I'm a songwriter for a living. Mm, I wrote a mm, song mm. about something and I really like it and it's on an album because yeah. that's what I do. And you yeah. go, well, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I don't uh, think anyone's saying this is. Who's that? Is it Mike Reed when he did a Pat War accent at a UKIP gig and sang a? So it's this oh, isn't God. that. Yes, <laughs> he sang a calypso. At a yeah, yeah, yeah. Brexit no, yeah, <laughs> and, and Mike Reed like, actually was. He, I think, did the last ever radio interview with Queen. Oh right. And I did. Mike Reed is still a DJ. So here's a seven degrees of light. Huh? I plugged my tour on BBC Radio Berkshire, I think it was, on Mike Reed's show. And I had to drive to what is, I think, some old radio um, uh, sort of, what would you call it? Radio mast. And it's got a few rooms attached where they broadcast from. And I asked him about um, Queen and he was sort of weirdly like unenthusiastic not about them but he just like was like uh well yeah well they he was sort of quite self-centered about it so he was like well they asked me to do it because they said that i was uh, the only one they they trusted and all that oh. kind of thing <laughs> oh my greed <laughs> <laughs> still saturday day, saturday superstore was that that was the show was the yeah. yeah i loved that but i'm more of a sarah green guy Let us move on to Love of Our Lives. This week we have a listener letter from uh, one Kimberly Keller, uh, who wrote to us with the subject Queen of the Champions, a moment of the week, smiley face. And she says, greetings from Northern Virginia, USA, just outside Washington, D.C. Hello, Kimberly. I'm a huge fan of the Queen Pod. Oh, thank you. And have been following you guys since the beginning. You've grown to be the cool British friends I always wished I had. It's very <laughs> sweet. Also, the first time any of us have been called cool. At any rate, there are always little ways that Queen show up in my life that never fails to give me a little boost of confidence when I need it most. This week was no different. Uh, I am a nurse and I've been working in the ICU for the last three and a half years. 
This past Monday, I was on my way to an interview for a job as a flight nurse caring for critically ill patients who need to be transported in helicopters. It is a lifelong dream of mine to be a flight nurse, and I was pretty nervous about the interview. Kimberly, you are a badass. Good. This is amazing. I love what you do. I put on episode 13 of The Queen Pod as I drove to my interview when Simon played the rare recording of Freddie singing 39 all of my nerves melted away. Mm. 39 is one of my favourites on the album and overall, but hearing Freddie's voice so rich and clear simply lifted my spirits. I won't know for another week if I got the job, but I walked in and owned it, just the way Freddie would have, darlings. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Simon, you legend. How good is this? Um, <laughs> totally my Thank you for the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just... Uh... Oh, it's amazing. That's uh, You're reaching people all over the planet. So lovely. Uh, with these clips that you bring in for us. Thanks, man. So thank you for this podcast, for your brilliant analysis, and for sharing your love of Queen with us all. Um, Side note, I drive a muscle car that I have lovingly named Freddy, and I greet him every time I open the door. Hey, Freddy. Lol. (laughs) Much love to you all. Keep up the great work. And thank you, Kimberly, uh, and and for everything you're doing in these um, insane times. Um, What a lovely letter to receive. Uh, it's so nice uh, to be getting this kind of interactivity with uh, the people behind this podcast, which is absolutely lovely. Uh, you can send us your letters to queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com and um, uh, you can also, if you are interested, nip along to patreon.com forward slash queenpod and see how to get involved there. We've got a few Patreon thank yous. Would you like to thank some people, guys? Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. Thank you very much, David Reed. Yeah. I want to say thank you to Jeff Allport. Cheers, Jeff. And I want to say a very royal thank you to the Right Honourable Jeremy <laughs> Smith, Esquire. Uh, and I am saying thank you to Casey. Uh, and I hope that you are enjoying your sunshine band. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, patrons. Do uh, keep supporting us. Let's get back to the works. Yes, yes. So it is uh, a track that you will find on Queen Greatest Hits. Uh, and uh, it is Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy, 2 minutes 54 by one Freddie Mercury. Ooh, let me feel your heartbeat. Grow faster, faster.
<laughs> oh yeah, I can. Al- I always hear Drow starting whenever that song finishes. <laughs> <laughs> every time, even on the greatest hits album. Um, uh, what a fantastic! Uh, what a fantastic track this is. Um, I have uh, a little game for you guys. Um, who sings specifically the line? Uh, hey boy, where'd you get it from? Hey boy, where did you go? Is that Brian? Do you reckon that's a Brian? Oh, you know, I thought it was Freddie. Well, yeah, I think Freddy? that might be Brian. Brian? Freddie? Simon, you know the answer, I think. It's neither of them, isn't it? It's neither of them. Do you know it's it is? John Deacon. No. It's it's Mike Stone, isn't it? It is. It's engineer it really? Mike Stone. He provides oh those God. additional vocals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when uh, when the band performed the song on top of the pops, it's Roger took that line. But um, yeah, hey boy, where'd you get it from? That oh wow, I've always just thought it was Freddie. Wow, okay. I always assumed it I was Brian. S- right. I have to say this this side of the album is such a roller coaster for me uh, because after White Man, this I have to say, if I was offered somebody to love or good old fashioned lover boy to take on a desert island, I would take good old fashioned. Really, I love it so much i think it is such a good song i it's very i think it's quite rarely played live so mm. i had to <clears throat> don't tell anyone simon <laughs> get some bootlegs in order to find all of the live performances of it and there's some really good ones um but it's it's almost straight off a night at the opera and that's what i love mm. about it and i think what probably white man and lover boy mm. are the two songs that connect most directly to a night of the opera because brian's guitar tone on this could easily have been on good company mm. or um seaside rendezvous i think it is a perfect song the second perfect song on the album yeah. it's extraordinary. It is an extraordinary in fact maybe the third perfect song on the album after with tie your mother mm-hmm. down so i just absolutely adore it uh freddie uh told kenny everett uh that it's called good old-fashioned lover boy and it's in my ragtime mood that i get a chance to do on every album and this time <laughs> this is something i've come up with uh this time around and kenny went right a friendly little number from the pen of fred it's uh, it's John's bass playing actually on this track that gets me. He almost sounds like a umpapa tuba, you know that boim boim that he puts into it. It sounds like a complete, you know, you know Brian always spends ages meticulously creating these, effects, but John's doing it on this album. That sort mm. of umpapa sound. Suze, where are you on Good Little Fashion Lover Boy? Yeah, so this belongs in that group with. Uh, Seaside Rendezvous and Leroy Brown Mm. and of the three of them I think this is the one that most successfully is 100% Queen as well if that makes sense Um, it's like Noel Coward but make it sexy (laughs) that's what they've done here also it's got my favourite ever Queen harmony which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock they do a little 9 o'clock how do they fit nine into a count of eight they just do it they just do a count of nine they just start one earlier <laughs> uh, i still don't understand but fine <laughs> <laughs> just instead of eight they did nine how can you do that how does that even i don't understand how they do it it's, it's so extraordinary great. their craft yeah yeah amazing one of my favorite harmonies is also in that song but it's the bit where they go it's a bit where one line is going, ooh la. That's my line, good old fashioned. Here he goes again. Here's my mm. good old fashioned love. Yeah, there's so so many. Yeah, there are so many crazy so counter going on. It is extraordinarily arranged. Um, 
uh, and Simon, are you are you a big fan of the old? Yeah, old I, I'm with you. I just I'm so glad they found the fader for John's bassline and decided mm. that they'd actually pump mm. it up in the mm. mix because um, mm. he's so good on this. Um, oh yeah, yes. And, in fact, well, of course they all are. He's and, who I'm listening to. And the way he's, you know, so tight with Roger on the drums and, of course, mm. Freddie on the piano yeah. is such a great mm. bedrock for, you know, for Brian to, to noodle on top of. You know, it's great. Mm. I actually sent this to producer Giles slightly early on, a little 20-second clip. Um, I found a karaoke version of this where they've just rather crudely stripped out the lead vocal but just so you can just hear a bit more oh, yeah. of oh, the yes, bass. Please. Nice. It's not a great version of it but yeah perhaps here's a little bit more of of JD he's almost got the melody there as well hasn't he yeah, yeah. He's got. It's yeah. like yeah. a four harmony. John has a bigger bounce to it. It's like bong, yeah, when he's doing mm. it. It's, yeah, yeah. That was mm. so cool. Just hearing it pulled out like that. He is. I just that. Is it a big band sound that they're doing? I don't know what that is. That sort of um, again, it's that a little kind bit of Dixieland. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah, it has that proper. Anyway, I've said it. It's, it's got an umpapa feel to it. Yeah, with a hint of music hall. Like there's there's more yes. than a little Noel Coward in that. Yeah. Yes. So you would have exactly expected right. that to have been played on a double bass, which does sound yes. a bit looser than the electric bass yeah. guitar, or even a so tuba. That's what he's gone for. But hmm. you know, to be honest, I think John's been doing all this sort of stuff on loads of Queen songs, but for the first time, it. I just really noticed it had been pushed really up shines. in the mix and we've been... It really shines. We, yeah. Um, yeah. He's almost driving the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is well, I wonder if um, our You're My Best Friend kind of gave him a little bit of a louder voice mm. in the room. Yeah. Because there are a number of songs on A Day at the Races where John is higher in the mix, uh, you and I and... Um, millionaire Waltz being an example he delivered them a hit so I think he's sort of perhaps he's now sort older. of flexing a bit and, uh, yeah and also perhaps just more equal songwriting yeah, force yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I mean because the, 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 everybody knows that you know, they settled with John as the bassist because he was very happy to just stand there at the back and just be brilliant he didn't want to be flaunting around on stage you know when you've got Freddie um, you know, mm. running around like a lunatic, and you, you've got you know Brian throwing some amazing shapes as as the guitar hero, and and Roger thrashing around. The last thing you need is yet another band member sort of trying to hog the spotlight. <laughs> and John never wanted that, and that's why he fitted in so well. Um, mm. But yeah, I think he's growing increasingly into the band. And I think you may be right, mm. John. I think maybe you're my best friend has sort of given him a bit more kudos. Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy was released as the lead track on Queen's first EP in May 1977, which had Death on Two Legs on its A-side and Tenement Funster on White Queen on the B-side. What a cool little EP that was, uh, which got into the top 20. It was uh, got to number 17 in 1977. Um, and uh, So You Win Again by Hot Chocolate was at number one that week. So um, <laughs> there you go. What can you do about that? Uh uh, I 
like the song a lot now, I think, as an adult. Interestingly, I think on the Greatest Hits album, weirdly, it is sort of... I always had it in the back of my head as my least favourite song, and I think in an earlier pod last season, I seem to remember mentioning it once, probably off off air, that um, I wasn't that keen on the song. But actually getting to it here... You know, I yeah, I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It is an outrageous, brilliant combination of lyric and attitude and 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 arrangement. Once again, I mean, they're excelling themselves uh, on an album that is traditionally considered lesser to mm. the one that preceded it. But actually, if you stop and listen to what they're up to, it's extraordinary stuff. This is a really, really good album. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's say farewell to uh, the good old-fashioned lover boy, and say hello to the game. Play the game. Play the game. Play the game. All right. Ready to play a game? Yeah. It is yeah. time for a listener question from producer Giles. Chris Draper wrote in and put a marvelous quandary mm. to all of you. It's a bit of fun. Um, if there was a Queen theme park... Yeah, that's right. What would be your ultimate ride or attraction? To extend the parameters of the question a little bit, what would that theme park be called? Oh, I don't need to think about it, because guess which 16-year-old wrote the Queen musical before We Will Rock You ever came out? Yeah, it's your old pal Suze Kempner, <laughs> and it was it was a giant nightclub that had a roller coaster at the top, and the it was called the Emerald Bar. <gasps> oh, that's good. Well, it might be it might be nice to sort of brainstorm potential Queen rides, yeah, as opposed to trying to come up with our best. I'm I'm going to start the ball rolling with. Uh, Khashoggi ship. Ooh, and yeah. a galley. It's which a galleon. Is, which is one of those swinging yeah. galleons. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's strong. I'm going to have, um, you know, those sort of dinner and show type things that they have at theme parks. Like <laughs> yeah. They'll have a medieval, ba- I'm going to have an ogre battle dinner. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be sat there. You'll be sat there eating, I don't know, oat cakes or whatever. You'll be eating <laughs> meat. You'll be eating meat and drinking mead. And there'll be people dressed as ogres with battle axes <laughs> at each other to all of Queen's awesome. hardest tracks. Yes. I I would also like I'm in love with my dodgem. <laughs> <laughs> I would oh I would like oh a roller coaster. Dodgems is such a good idea, though. It's great. Yeah. I would love a a, a roller coaster called Freddy's Vocal Range <laughs> that just that goes really, 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 really high and then just drops you subterranean yeah. Yeah, and then comes back up and just sort of really messes you around in the mid-range. It's playing the, it's, and you can hear him as you're going up, like, la, and it goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> That's, yeah, all right, That's we need to sell this. Idea. We need to I'm, pitch um, this. I'm doing a runaway train. I'm doing a runaway train on the Miracle Express. Yeah. 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 You hear me? Yeah. That's Where great. you start by <laughs> blasting through uh, polystyrene, but it passes health and safety because the pressure, the air pressure will yeah. blast the wall before you do. Yeah. You'll never so touch that's it. That's fine. Yeah. You'll never touch it. Um, uh, I was just thinking, what, uh, I, I guess you would call it, 
the seas of rock. I mean, I think the Emerald Bar would be. That's a separate um, thing, isn't it? That's like yeah. that's where you'd go for your for your pints, where the kids weren't allowed in. That area. Yeah, and they've got a beer garden where, called you know I mean? on a Sunday afternoon. Got, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But you I'll, could. I'll, yeah. You could have a uh, Brian May themed clog flume. <laughs> 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 that's that's why you're theme. award-winning right there. There man. you go. <laughs> the clock is extraordinary. Um, I would, I, I think, um, Seven Seas of Rye, something along those lines, yeah. where you'd have seven areas of the park. Yeah, yeah the Rye meeting point's that. called Seaside Rendezvous. And that's a meeting point. Yeah. Could, yeah, could it yeah, be yeah. like you know Disney World, where you you want to go around trying to collect the signatures of the characters, like Mickey Mouse and so forth but actually it's characters from the song so like you've got to get the great king rats autograph and you know yeah. Ooh, yeah. the invisible man will be impossible got to get find him. They're like, find be him. careful don't get syphilis <laughs> <laughs> and on, at the exit there should be a big sign saying who wants to leave forever oh, <laughs> oh I can't believe this is, just, this is this is making itself we we can make a fortune. All yeah. we need is for people to be allowed to go outside again. That's, That's all it. we yeah. need. That's the we, only we, reason we haven't built a Queen theme park is because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. And about £100 million pounds in sort of seed capital planning for an enormous any area. investors for this. Queen World. That's what it's going to be one day. Oh, I can't wait. Oh. Can't wait to throw up on a ride at Queen World. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> What a great question. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Um, I think we've answered that um, half sufficiently. John I got has so done, excited John and during done that. Very well. yeah. I got so excited during that, I took off my sock, just one of my socks. <laughs> yeah, I, <took laughs> I was like, oh, I took a sock off. <laughs> Such an exciting idea. Put it I back can't on stop now, thinking we've done about that potential queen rides. I just can't <laughs> stop, like a bicycle race thing. Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's so much. There's just so much. Um, all right, awesome. Um, okay, we're going to nip back to the works now for a Roger Taylor track um, called Drowse.
<laughs> now, who else do I like? <laughs> <laughs> Love those little name checks. He name checks Clint Eastwood, Jimi Hendrix, and William the Conqueror at the end. He goes, now, who else do I like? <laughs> Just uh, fantasizing about who he wants to be for the afternoon. Um, well, there'll be no secret to the fact that I'm a big fan of this track, but how are you guys uh, squared away with this one that Roger plays rhythm guitar on as well as drums and all the vocals? It's magnificent. Yes, Suze. What a song. I know that Brian has said that uh, We Will Rock You, um, which is coming up, isn't it? We'll be Mm. doing that next. Um, He said that that is covering the three ages of man. I think Drowse is doing that in a totally different way. It starts off with... it's. He's even singing in a really high register, like a child's register. And and then in the midsection, it's this really punchy... um, more adult sound and then he's like a lethargic disillusioned older man at the end of it mm, of course that's such a uh, yeah, so well. smart and he yeah. wrote all that it's like it's the sort of song you'd expect from like a rocket in his 60s but didn't he write it when he was like 26 or something yeah it's crazy yeah. i love that midsection uh, that you just played where he's yeah. basically going remember that remember that remember that and then it just stops yeah. and goes back to the ding. Mm. That slide awesome. guitar is apparently uh, that that so the slide the um uh you know holding a hard object against the strings you know using a slide mm. to do that uh, apparently that's a, uh, designed to reflect the characteristics of a human singing voice to enable ah. the guitar to do that mm. um, right. which is really really cool um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah Simon. Well, I'm just relieved that Roger didn't give himself a ridiculously fast drum beat to play along to while singing it, um, so he doesn't give himself a heart attack. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a Roger rocker, isn't it? it? It's great, you know, sort of it's well rooted in that rock and roll, you know, hierarchy. It's it's I like it a lot. I mean, I don't know what to say about it really because it's just great. It's quite downbeat for Roger. I think, isn't it? The, mm. Sort of the themes. Yeah, it's that sort of the closest to gets to a ballad. It's quite, it's quite melancholic, <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. any song that's got, you know, is able to reference a pool hall and a school hall in the same line. Um, <laughs> yeah, wins, yeah, wins for yeah. me. Oh, the lyrics are actually amazing. Yeah. When, you, when you read them, they're they're incredible. Um, uh, John, I think it's superb. I love oh, it, glad. and yeah. I think it it's so in that Roger canon. This is the sort of sister song to Tenement Funster, sure. without a doubt. Yeah. And he's sort of really carving out his space on the album. Yeah. You, yeah. He's he's sort of got and and I think that's proof proof if proof be need be by the fact he's sort of playing guitar on it and doing the vocals and obviously they've come to an arrangement where it's like this is one of Rogers <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. I think it's a really, really great track. And um it does fit into that you know, that sense that we were talking about, that Midsummer Night's Dream, yeah. like, you know, nostalgia and imagination yeah. and yearning for other altered states and other states. Uh, what, what what I find so weird is, because when I started listening to Queen, I was nine. So to me, they're always grown-ups. Mm. And I'm 12 years older now than <laughs> Roger was when he wrote this song. Right. And that's kind of just sort of takes my breath yeah. away in a oh, nice. sort of depressing way. <laughs> but... <clears throat> like to think that I'm now feeling nostalgia for my life in a way that Roger, 10, 12 years younger than me, is also expressing mm. is very, very odd. Predicting. 
I think to get your head around as well, isn't he? He's kind of yeah aware of that that bracket. Yeah, yeah. I I think this is such a distinctively Roger sound. It's such an unusual, challenging track. It's such an unusual just sound to hear. I think there's elements of the Beatles in this. That sort of um, strawberry fields forever kind of thing behind it and it's um uh but is there a better description of being a teenager than thinking it right doing it Mm. wrong Mm -hmm. what a lyric Mm -hmm. like the amount of time you spend in your bedroom sort of going over and over in your head about like what will happen when i chat to this girl or this boy and what I'll be when I grow up, and then you sort of see them the next day, and you're like, "Hi, uh, uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah." It's true. It's true. I, uh, I I remember being so startled by this track uh, when I, I first heard it that I I, I tore into the, uh, the music rooms at school the next day and gathered my band blade together and said, "Right." This is this is the track that we have to try and I slaved for for weeks trying to put and they didn't really know what I was on about, but to try and create this kind of a song that would be so sort of haunting and easy and it's just it's a lush song and it and it, it encapsulates this kind of there's this texture to the song that's so he sort of does he's done it a bit from Pre up to this point, but it's almost that sort of sci-fi sound. You hear a lot of it um, on uh, on his solo album, uh, the first one uh, with uh, the space puppet on the front with um, Future Management and all that mm. on it. Uh, why is that name falling out of fun my head space. right now? Uh, fun, fun in space. space. Yeah. Um, on his Fun in Space album, you really see him getting to lean into it. Um, but it, yeah, it's just an extraordinary song. It's so distinctive on the album. It's so distinctive out of all of the albums as well, and um, I absolutely adore it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's never been performed live, but Queen and Adam Lambert rehearsed it before their Rock Big Ben <gasps> live concert on New Year's oh, Eve wow. 2014. Um, oh, hang on, that's interesting. What was that gig that you mentioned? <laughs> I don't know. Were any of us there, though, John? I'm just wondering. <laughs> was that the time you supported Queen? <laughs> Oh God! Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have mentioned it if I'd known that was. It just one sounded familiar. About, so. I don't feel like that was queued yeah. up in any way. No. Uh, uh, yeah. No. Congratulations. I I'm very very jealous of you. Did you get to um, hear oh them God, do that? Then did you get to see them sing Drows? I don't remember that, and right. I would have I would have been there unless they did it in rehearsal. Do you know what? Uh, I th- so I, I got there about like five hours before. They may well have done that in the morning because uh, okay. there was no there was no rehearsal when I was there. Just uh, just a quick chat with Brian and he showed me his red special. Did you get to see his guitar as well? Hey! Oh, oh, dear, dear. Right. What a terrible shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I really do now at this point really hope that I think we just need to just somehow tell Queen Management that whatever podcast Brian listens to just not this particular episode <laughs> <laughs> it's fine you can listen to any of them but not, not that one um, yeah I uh, uh, I think that they probably rehearsed it in their rehearsal sessions is my suspicion gotcha. because they, 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 on the day they would have just rehearsed what they were going to play that night I think Oh man, I bet Adam sounds amazing singing that. 
Yeah. Because he's, he's, his voice tends towards Rogers as anyway, and oh, that <sighs> sounds awesome. How dare they? How amazed would you be if they suddenly erupted into drows while you're yeah. at the gig next year? Cool. My God. <laughs> Sung him another word. I'd take yeah. off one of my socks. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh my god! <laughs> I was doing a I was doing a cameo video earlier, and I realised that throughout the entire thing, I'd been sort of fiddling with a Freddie Mercury doorstep in my hand. <laughs> doorstop. Sorry. <laughs> We've all been there. That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, all right. Well, a lot of love for Drowse in this. Um, Zoom room. Uh, so, so hooray brilliant. for Drowse. Yeah, it's oh, brilliant. Oh, just to say, yeah. like, this is the... Roger comes back to these themes again 15 years later with These Are The Days Of Our Lives, but with a whole different feel. Like a completely different mindset. I hadn't made that connection. I only Your saw mind. it today. I went, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much connectivity between that album and mm. what had come before. And mm-hmm. I had never made that connection with these are the days of our lives. Off the innuendo album, fantastic mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's so, oh, it's just lush. It's just lush. I don't know what else to say yeah. about it, really. Um, uh, let us move on to the news of the world. Come on, honey. Okay, so we have got some bits of bobs. Uh, 21st February. I mean, it's worth saying every time, if you want some hot Queen news, just use, like, the internet. <laughs> just, you know, Queen Online <laughs> It's a really good place to go. Um, yeah, lo- there's loads of um, fantastic places where you can go. What's the official, <laughs> the official website for Queen is? It's queenonline.com. Queenonline. Queenonline.com. Yeah, so I did just say it. Fantastic stuff. Um, okay, all right. Uh, so uh, Roger's done an interview on BBC Radio 4's The World uh, this weekend, which you can find on thequeenonline.com. Uh, uh, that was released on the, I think that was broadcast the 21st of February. Um, and on the 23rd of February, he just appears in the trailer for this. Again, you'll be able to find news about this at Queen Online. Uh, uh, Freddie features in a documentary called Your Room Will Be Ready, which is a film about the Royal Albert Hall, narrated by no less than Mick Jacker. And it was released to mark the beginning of the Royal Albert Hall's 150th uh, anniversary celebrations. 150 for Royal Albert Hall, 50 for Queen. And Freddie appeared at the venue as part of the Fashion Aid event uh, in 1985, in November 1985. And... Um, Oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was Guide Force Day. Um, but uh, he is clearly having a ball mm-hmm. uh, there. He's got this fantastic sort of cool black, almost Sergeant Peppery type outfit on. He's amazing. Um, and, John, you'll be excited to discover that a couple of days ago, uh, about a week ago, Brian May Guitars have released a new guitar, but not based on the Red Special. It is the BMG Ariel. Uh, which Brian has said is designed by and named after Ariel. It's a new dimension. To understand why this guitar was irresistible to me, you have to hold her in your hands. She's light, smooth, agile, and she sings like a bird. Seen it's it. a really unusual shape. Considered pre-ordering it, realised I can't play the guitar, closed down the website, thought about it for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. It's it's really neat. I tell you what, if you go There's on... a lovely clip of him playing it, yeah. Uh, Brian May Guitars... 
some of the special editions of the red special copies are just gorgeous. I know. I want to be a millionaire one day so I can buy one. Mm. Well, you only have to be a seven hundred pound there. Seven hundred quid. Yeah. When you're gonna have yeah, a so spare sort of mid range. So I've got. I've got price. the guild copy of the so the second edition of the guild copy which I bought Christ 20 years ago um and that was until the Brian May guitars and and the ones he had done by who's the guy who did those very limited edition copies that were very expensive and all sold out immediately and would just die for is oh, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Les Paul. <laughs> but I don't know enough about guitars. Until the Brian May Guitars Company was formed, the the Guild was the was the sort of uh, the best of the Brian May copies. Oh, right. okay. But yeah. I, what I think is so good is that those guitars are of a very high spec and are affordable in the in sort of guitar terms. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that they do all those different designs, and and you sort of know that Brian wouldn't let, yeah, anything other than really mm. high quality stuff go out. Yeah, but he has approval. He, he could easily have like charged two or three grand for them, but that seven hundred quid for a quality guitar is really good mm. value. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, fair enough. Do you love it? I absolutely, I, lo- I would <laughs> love to own all of those guitars. Yeah, yeah, of course. Awesome. Let us get back to uh, the works with. The final track on this album, uh, Teo Toriate, Let Us Cling Together, written by Brian May, uh, written as a tribute to the band's Japanese fans, 5 minutes and 51 seconds of gorgeousness. Anthems are us, Brian May. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. I mean, it's almost impossible not to get out your lighter. Well, these days you just hold out your phone, don't you, with a torch on and just swing it about. It's, oh, it's almost impossible not to do it when you're hearing this song. Suze. Oh, what a song. The, you can hear where We Are The Champions came from. When That's we, such as, a with good Queen, point. You can, yes. you can always hear their origin stories for yeah. their big hits. So, yeah. Um, we are the champions clearly comes from this and yeah, this clearly comes from along. lap of the gods revisited right um, oh goodness you're properly chatting that stuff yeah when i first heard it i thought it was spanish 
<laughs> oh, I ran around telling it. I was like, yeah, they've done a Spanish song. <laughs> um, just advertising. Uh, I, I what... am. I remain an idiot. Uh, I know it's Japanese now. Okay, but what was the <laughs> what was the uh, period of time between you announcing uh, that it was Spanish and discovering probably, it was Japanese? Probably about fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. But what I that's knew great. was it was good, and that's no, the most important thing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, Simon, do you remember in series one we we talked about roller coaster moments in in Queen songs, where there's where you're anticipating a moment in a song. Yes, so it's like going up at the beginning of a roller coaster, and then it comes, and it's like going over the edge and into that. That bit that you played does that for me. That it coming out the second yeah. chorus into that when I'm gone and you know that mm. that guitar's coming. It's that's what it is for me. It's that moment where you go over the top and you just go into that yeah. heavy section at the yeah. end. Mm. But it's the most important part of the clog flute. Yeah, it, it will be. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what you'll be hearing when you, when it happens um, yeah. in the theme park. But I, I, it's such a beautiful song. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. I mean, Brian has really really pulled out of the bag with this one i think mm. this is and such a great gesture to to write something for their japanese fans and you know, oh, know. To show they were so that love. impacted on them didn't yeah. they that, and they that, that trip it. in 74 i mean it's they did when you hear them do it live there and the crowd are just well it's interesting you say that <gasps> we've got a bit of brian uh, playing this song live, especially for Tokyo in 2014. Oh, great. Go find this on YouTube, listeners. Uh, but it's just incredible the way the audience is responding to this. And Brian is so lovely. Um, I'm only playing a little bit from the end, but um, it's a little build-up to sing it. It just does a short version of it. Let's have a little look. So lovely, look. They're all, they're all so into it. It's like not a dry eye in the house. I love that. It's so amazing. And loads of, loads of them were really young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, know, they know all the words. They're probably, you know, too young to have ever seen Queen live with Freddie. Yeah. Whatever. They yeah. know every word. Yeah. 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 They, they're carrying the torch over there. That's for mm. someone tell Japan they exist. John, how do you. Um, how do you how do you feel about this uh, this track? I I absolutely love it, and it's one of the Queen songs more than any other that just gets stuck in my head for a day. Mm. Um, right. Yes. I also think it's really really classy, and if if you were trying to write a song for your Japanese fans, there are so many bad ways to do it. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and they have absolutely nailed it. Yeah. We mm. mentioned the record collector. Edition and something I was trying to say, which I couldn't quite get the words right, is that what sets Queen apart from other bands is that they genuinely care about every audience member's response to their work, whether it's album tracks, whether it's live gigs, whether it's videos, whatever it is, all of the sort of hard work they put in 
is not like money focused. It's not reputation focused. It is mm. focused on each person who consumes that, who listens to it, who sees it. And I think mm. this is a really good example where they are 100% writing a song for the audience it is intended for. And I think that's a really, a, that's actually quite a rare thing in music mm. Mm. and probably quite an unfashionable thing. But I think that's why they have such an enormous appeal. Because when you listen to Queen, you know that you are in their thoughts when they've written mm. that song or when they've recorded that video or where they've brought out that game. You know, I was playing that game this morning thinking this isn't a half-assed job. No, no, no. This isn't, it's absolute constant this isn't, game. Yeah. And, and when I bought those Hot Space T-shirts, <laughs> they're good T-shirts. You know, I really, really like them. And they're going to last more than one wash as well. Well, I get up in the morning and I think, well, what mood am I in today? Am I in a John Deacon mood or a Freddie mood? Am I feeling confident? Am I feeling oh, thoughtful? I'll put on my Brian one. Am I feeling rock and roll? Oh, and it's those fun. little things. It really matters to people yeah. Yeah. when you consider them in, your, yeah. in what you're doing. You're not just like, we put an album out and we see what happens. Yeah. yeah. And I think Teo Toriate is a, a supreme example of, of yeah. that, that care they take. Very self-possessed thing to do yeah. in, a, in a really brilliant way. That uh, Queen Around the World album could easily have just been some cash-in, but it's been right. beautifully crafted and yeah. really thought about as well. Yeah, so. I mean, they they make compilation albums with care. Mm. Yeah, they right. earned that number one. Right. Well, it could easily yeah. have been just one gig. They could have just yes. have recorded a gig and thought, well, we'll film mm, yeah. this one, we'll record it, yeah. and we'll put it out. Yeah. But instead, they made you feel like wherever you saw them, you were part of that album. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. works as a video as well as an audio. Mm. You know, it's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, they mm. are. They are consummate. Um, they did bring in a local choir to sing the chorus at the end of the track. I wondered who that, because it sounds like kids. Yeah, they brought in a little local choir, which I think is very sweet. It's very rare for them mm. to do that. And it's so effective right at the end. I mean, let's not make any bones about it all the harmonies up to that point is still just then <laughs> it's yeah, amazing yeah. like they really do just bring it in for the very last bit yeah. and it's so effective so beautiful uh and speaking of video games john and this shall please you suze the sequel to the japanese tactical role-playing video game ogre battle the march of the black mm-hmm. queen <laughs> the sequel to that game was entitled tactics ogre let us cling together in hey. reference to this track, that's good old. That's Japan's uh, artistic response to, how, to this extraordinary thing. How on earth did Teo Toriyati only get to number forty-nine in Japan? How yeah. is that possible, I given think... how big Queen were and yeah. the fact it's in Japanese? I don't know. I don't know. It's difficult to tell, isn't it? It's probably just a bit of timing. Um, Do you want you know, to? It's a good single. It had good old-fashioned Lover Boy on the B side. And... Should we give the translation of the? Of the uh, yeah, we can do yeah. yeah. Um, Well, have you got it there? Yeah, go on then. So Teo Toriati Konama Maiko, let's go hand in hand. Aishurahito yo, my beloved. Shisukana yoini in a quiet evening. Hikari o tomoshi, like the light. Itoshiki oshi o idaki, embracing loving teachings. Aww. Aww. Isn't that nice? It's a beautiful yeah. meaning. 
but also just hourly. It is just love. Those words are lovely. Yeah. To hear those sounds sound you know it sounds beautiful. He's, yeah, it is. Um, it is beautiful songwriting in a language that is not his own, and he has a typically applied monumental brain to achieving it. But also the whole band are behind it. You know, you can really feel Freddie's relish in singing it, and uh, it's a wonderful track. It's a wonderful yeah. track. Uh, so, wow, that has brought us to the end of uh, uh, a day at the races, guys. Well done. Very well done. Uh, and so uh, it is now time for us to pick, from this side of the album, Qu- uh, Queen de la Queen. Made in heaven. Made in heaven. This is where we pick our favourite tracks uh, from this side of the album that do not appear on uh, a Greatest Hits album. And now in this case, out of the five tracks, two of them do. Somebody to Love and Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy are banked. They're safe. They're in. But, uh, oh, actually, Jars, uh, someone asked, where where are you finding this? Where are we finding this Spotify playlist thing? We'll make sure we put it on our Facebook page and stuff. But we have got a Spotify Queen de la Queen playlist out there somewhere. Uh, we'll make sure we put the link up um, on our facebook page so you guys can find it uh but we have a spotify playlist right jazz yeah we've got loads of spotify playlists there's there's a few been put together um that all four of you have your own kind of bespoke uh, have we? band oh, member right. playlists from the end of last oh, season from our top 10 and those yeah, have gone up yeah they've had some listeners but we'll put the we'll put the links in in our various sock meds is that what the nice. are <laughs> all right brilliant any youngster has ever called called it that <laughs> What's it called? Unless they call it that so much and I'm so old, I've just never heard that from <laughs> A sock med. Sock med? Yeah. Did somebody say sock? <laughs> <laughs> and put it back on though, don't be silly. <laughs> um, okay, so those two tracks are safe. So out of the remaining tracks being White Man, Drowse and Teo Torriate, um, Sue's. Yeah, it's got to be Drowse. Drowse. I love drows. it. I love it. Simon? Yeah. It's Teo Toriate for me. Teo Toriate for you. And John. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I I only realised when listening to this half of the album. And given that I'm not a hundred percent sold on White Man, I think this is almost the best side in Queen. Wow. Mm. I, wow. This is so close to being the best side of any Queen album in terms of the consistency of the songs. But I think it just missed misses out because White Man isn't amongst my top hits. It's close, but it's no cigar. Mm. And there's a lot of cigars to smoke on this side of the album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think for me, for the reasons I said earlier, I think Teo Toriate, it has to be just just as an example of Queen being such a generous band. And also it's a mm. great track and it gets stuck in my head so much. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I'm with Suze uh, because I absolutely love Drowse. It's one of my best all-time, um, uh, all-time uh, uh, Queen songs. I love Roger Taylor. It's such an unusual track. It's an exceptional track. Um, and then now I'm split because I've got to decide which one actually goes in. 
Because and then you think about it in a different context then, uh, where I'm like, oh god, but actually, you know, if you've got people that are new to the to Queen and they're listening to this, and what song are they going to need to know should they ever go it's to a Queen concert? Very Would true. it Japan? So can we maybe check, did Tenement Funster make the Queen de la Queen? Because if it did, I think Drowse might be overkill. But if it didn't, ah, I, could, I could understand putting Drowse uh, on there. Are I we starting think... to think about our playlist as a whole? Yeah. I don't think, I'm a little bit, I'm trying to make sure it's a bit curated. I can't remember. I don't think Tenement Funster did, did it? There was a, a, a Brighton Rock made it in. <clears throat> in fact, I don't think that any Roger Taylor songs have made it in yet. That it's probably about so time. That has swung it for me. Well done, Roger. Let's have some drafts. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever you choose, you're going to feel <laughs> about it. So there we go. Uh, all right. Oh, we one one last game to play. Out of the any track out of the whole album. I think again, it's very difficult not to say somebody to love. So again, let's take the super hits out of it. But uh, out of the whole album, what's your favourite? So. You, Millionaire Waltz. Oh, beautiful. Simon? Take my breath away. Right, fair enough. And Sorry, I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> this happens at the end of every time we get to the really? end of an album. Yes. Yeah. It's been happening. Oh, God. Now the fifth album. <laughs> I've had two beers in the course of this show. Five times. Now, <laughs> I got fifth stressed time. You're going to say tie your mother man. down, aren't you? So that's fine. I'm not sure. That... Hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Let me. I don't want to make a... Would anyone judge me if I drank walnut liqueur straight out of the bottle? (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking at it. I've been going like, oh, oh. Do you not want it over a bit of ice, mate? It's downstairs. Gets warmed up in my tummy. (laughs) 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 What would ice do? Am I allowed to pick something that I haven't picked for either quick? It's whatever you want to pick out of this whole album that you really is your favourite track. But not including somebody to love and good old fashioned lover boy. Exactly. It's not. This isn't going to be put on like a list or anything. This is just for us. It's a, <laughs> just a light bit of. Uh, just a quick light bit of fun to round out the episode. <laughs> not to I'm, the hemorrhoids. I'm going to say the millionaire waltz. Okay, nice, good choice. That did seem like a tough choice for you. I'm going you and I all day long. Nah. Thank you very much. Um, awesome. So it is time to uh, wrap up the proceedings on this fantastic album. We've uh, got the next album we've got coming up is News of the World, which is fantastic. But before that, we are going to be taking a look at Live at the Rainbow, which oh, is long overdue, Ooh. right? Yeah, that's right. what we're doing next time. So that is a wonderful thing. It's also, uh, I think it's on Sky Arts at the moment, if you want to find it. But there we go. Uh, Live at the Rainbow. We're going to check that out. Uh, 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 Simon, do you want to explain a little bit quickly why Live at the Rainbow is such an important gig? Why it's such a big deal? Um, Well, it it was sort of... um... It was a gig that you had to play, really, if you wanted to be taken seriously in the UK. Um, and Queen played it uh, at two on two separate tours in 1974. And for them, it was a massive deal because, you know, the likes of Jimi Hendrix and David Bowie and you know the Beach Boys had sort of played there. So it's sort of at the time it was a really prestigious venue. Um, and it was a big deal for them, and it was on their, you know, not only were they now headlining the UK tours, but they were playing that kind of venue, um, and they really took their opportunity. 
It's sort of like getting to the pyramid stage on Glastonbury now or something like that. Yeah, but bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, cooler than that. Cooler yeah, than that. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Simon. Uh, well, there you have it. Uh, now, this week, I'm not going to tell you to email us with your stories and questions to queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. I'm not going to ask you to comment at the queenpod on Twitter, uh, on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not going to ask you to go to patreon.com forward slash queenpod to see how to offer support. I don't want you to give us a star rating on your podcast platform or even give us a little review. I don't want you to bother. What I want you to do is find one Queen fan you know and get them to try the pod. That's it. Just one person you think will get a kick out of what we're doing and dig our vibe. Pick the one that you think they will like the most, whichever episode it is, whether it's the fan special at the end of the last season or the uh, video ranking episode, whichever one you think is the most fun. Just get them to try it. Have a listen to it and uh, see if they don't jump on board. That's what I need from you guys. Um, And uh, uh, we will applaud you and be ever grateful to you for doing that. Does that sound good? That's a great plan. Please do that. Yeah. It's a perfect plan. So, until next time, let us cling together as the years go by. In the quiet of the night, let our candle always burn. Never lose the lessons we have learned. That's a line from Britain's most favourite band. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Sue, Simon, John and producer Giles. Goodbye! Bye. Bye! This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.